Well, good morning, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I, uh, I guess I didn't introduce myself earlier. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And we've been in a series uh, called The Meaning of Life. We've been looking at the meaning of life, and uh, today is part five. So if you're here for the first time, I really encourage you to go back and try and catch some of the other ones. Uh, if you missed any of them, they are online. They're on our YouTube page, and I believe we have a podcast program that we work with. I am not part of that, in case you didn't guess. Um, but I'm excited about what we have today, and I hope that you'll join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into what the Bible has to say for us. Lord God, thank you for being here. Thank you that you are always working. Thank you that you make a way when we can't see one, that you've never left us alone, God. God, you're so good. You're so good when everything around us is hard. So Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds, and that you would teach us something new about yourself, that you would change our lives, that we would be different for having met you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So in our Meaning of Life series, we have been following the outline of a human life to look for ways and places that we find meaning and purpose. And the first place that we looked was God, right? We looked at worship and we looked at gratitude. And the second place that we looked at was work. As you go through a human life, one of the first things that ends up coming up as you emerge into adulthood is you got to work. And, and so we talked about work, we talked about meaning and purpose that we can find as we build, as we create, as we provide, as we express our desire for order and live out the cultural mandate that's found in Genesis chapter 1. And we moved into the area of relationships and of family and of the meaning that is found in investing in other people. We categorized these ideas under different stages of human development and today we arrive at what we might call late adulthood or perhaps middle age would be a better way to understand it, but it's not as if the lessons from today don't apply to the other stages of life, but I think it might be that middle age can be where things might start to change, where some of these issues start to feel more acute. Because it is in this stage of life where it can seem like we have the most to lose. By middle age, we've built families and friendships and careers, and the possibility of those being taken away is becoming all the more real. So today we are talking about the meaning of life in suffering. We're also going to be talking about triumph, because I think those two go together, but suffering is the hard one. And suffering is the one that I think probably needs the most discussion. Suffering is one of the main things that comes up when people talk about why they don't believe in God. It's usually referred to formally as the problem of evil. But in practice, what gets asked is, if God is good, why is there so much suffering in the world? Now, from a logical standpoint, this is actually not a very difficult question. A combination of human free will and God's greater purposes is enough to satisfy the logical question of evil. It is, however, a very difficult question emotionally. When I ask that question, if God is good, why is there so much suffering in the evil? I'm sure, or so much suffering in the world, I'm sure you were able to think of something that happened in your own life or in the life of someone close to you where you couldn't help but think, why, why God? 
It is a question that we feel deeply in our souls. And having an answer that makes sense is not really enough to satisfy us when it comes to that. We've talked about this question in much greater detail before, but for today I want to say this. The Bible makes no secret of the fact that life is hard and unfair, that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. But what the Bible does say is this, God is good, God is fair, and in the end, God will work it out. In Revelation 21, verse 4, we read, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the promise. That the suffering of this life has an expiration date and that God is at work. Amen? But in the meantime, there's a lot of pain in this life. A certain golden protocol droid said once while wandering through the desert, we seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. That was C-3PO, in case you're unfamiliar. In fact, the theme of suffering in life is one that goes right back to the earliest pages of the Bible. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God's words to them describe a new existence of toil and suffering. In Genesis 3, 16 to 19, we read, To the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's a whole lot of words to say you're in for a hard time. And like I said, the Bible makes no secret of this. But I'll be honest, my favorite quote about suffering doesn't come from Bible, from the Bible, or even from Star Wars. It's from The Princess Bride. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. But there is good news. God is not only good, God is not only fair, but God also does not stand apart. God put on flesh and he became human and he experienced all that life had to offer. Well, he didn't experience the suffering that is social media, but he was crucified, so close enough, right? Basically the same. Seriously, though, Jesus went through it all, right? Jesus went through childhood, he went through teenage, he went through puberty, he went through grief and loss and betrayal and death. The suffering that we experience is not foreign to God. In fact, I would argue that God suffers far worse than we do because of the constant loss and grief that God faces in light of our sin and rebellion. When we turn from God, we hurt Him. Not in the sense that He is lessened or weakened by any means, but God desires a relationship with us. 
And when we reject that, the spirit is grieved. But we do not suffer alone, nor do we have a God who suffers far away. God is with us. We're heading into the Christmas season, and this is one of the great messages of that season, that God is with us. At Christmas, we remember the incarnation when Jesus came and lived a fully human life. But that's not the only way that God is with us. As Christians, we carry the very presence of God in the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, including when we suffer. We are never alone. Jesus promises us that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And God promises in various places through the Bible that he will hold us up through the difficult times. For example, in Psalm 37, verse 23, we read, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Or in Isaiah 41, Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or in the Gospels, where once again Jesus makes no secret of life's hardships, but also promises comfort. In John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Bible verses are beautiful and wonderful, but sometimes, every once in a while, Bible verses aren't the thing that pops into our memory. Sometimes, poetry is. And there's a beautiful poem that was very popular a few years ago and has sort of gone out of vogue lately, but I would like to read to you because it talks about exactly this issue. It's called Footprints in the Sand. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. And this really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. But this series actually isn't about what to do when you're suffering. It's about meaning. And how do we find meaning in suffering? Well, first, I want to remind you that God accomplishes much in you through suffering. Our goal as Christians is to be more like Jesus, right? It's literally what the word means. Christian means like Christ. There are two metaphors that the Bible uses regularly regarding our journey to be more like Jesus, and one, another metaphor that the Bible doesn't use, but that seems to resonate with many people, so I'm going to share it anyway. The first metaphor is that of a potter shaping clay. 
This is what springs to mind for me when I read Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where it talks about being conformed to the image of the Son. The Bible speaks of God as a potter in a number of other places, such as Jeremiah chapter 18, Isaiah 64, even Romans 9 makes reference to this idea. Think about what it means to be conformed by a potter. Do you think that's a pleasant process for the clay, right? Being pushed and shoved and crushed and spun. But that is how clay is made into something useful and beautiful. Or the metaphor that Jesus uses in John chapter 15, where Jesus describes himself as the true vine, or that you, we, are the branches. What does he say? In John 15, 2, he says, he, cuts, he, being God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So we kind of understand if you're not bearing fruit, God will cut you off. But if you are bearing fruit, do you know what pruning involves? It still involves a knife. It involves cutting off the dead or unproductive parts. And that doesn't sound like a pleasant process for the plant. But it does cause greater fruit and health for the plant. And the third metaphor that I just like a lot is that of carving a statue. I don't know about you, I have a lot of sharp edges. I have a lot of pieces that stick out where they shouldn't. I have places where I'm rough, where I should be smooth. And that process of turning a piece of stone into a beautiful statue, it's not a pleasant process for that stone, right? It involves a hammer and a chisel. Ouch. And we can see from these metaphors that suffering is one of God's great tools in making us more like Jesus. The Bible has lots to say on this matter. In James chapter 1, verse 2, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You go through something hard, God's chipping away, right? Or Romans chapter 5, verse 3, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you hear it? We're going through hard things and God's clipping parts off. He's making us more into what he made us to be, to make us more fruitful, more productive, more beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can you see the clay being pushed and crushed and reshaped. But that's not all. God is able to work through our suffering to make us more like Jesus, to bring good out of the evil that we have gone through. But sometimes, our suffering is the price that we pay to make life better for others. Paul regularly speaks of his own suffering as being for the Christians. 
In his case, Paul was forging a new path, which certainly is suffering for those who would come after. But not only that, Paul was also setting an example for the other Christians in how to endure suffering and persecutions. He knew it was coming for them too, but that they would have his example to look to for how to go through it. And in the same way, the the purpose of our suffering is not limited to us. Sometimes our suffering is on behalf of someone else so that they can have an easier time later or at least an example to follow. But more than that, God uses our suffering because our suffering is the road to our triumph. You don't win anything without suffering on the way. Maybe a game of cards. Nothing real. Right? Like the person who wins a race or a championship like the bombers are about to do, they don't win without having suffered many hours of training, not to mention the exertion of the victory itself, right? Nobody who builds a business does that without suffering or at least carrying a heavy load of stress and anxiety, right? If we want to be a little more specific about what we mean by by suffering in that context. And when God puts a need on your heart, when God lays out in front of you those good works which God prepared in advance for you to do, accomplishing that task will involve suffering. It will be work. It will be hard. And it will be worth it. Without suffering, there is no triumph. This is also what the Bible is saying when it talks about our difficulties making us more like Christ. That is the triumph in that context. Now, I think that there's one more question to be asked. How do we know that we are suffering for something worthwhile? Because we all know people who have suffered through things for no good reason, right? And if you are looking for meaning and purpose in our suffering, then making sure that we're suffering in the right direction, that's important. Now, there are some that are obvious. Suffering through the difficult task of raising excellent human beings, obviously worth it, right? Suffering through the difficult task of maintaining a healthy and loving marriage, obviously worth it. Going to work and providing for your family, obviously worth it in principle, but there's a fair bit of room to move around within the question, right? Fair enough? But what about other areas that are less obvious? What if there's a pet project that you feel like you need to make happen? What if there's a business that you want to start? I want to share with you the wisdom that was shared with me when I started exploring the path of going into ministry. Because ministry is hard. Ministry is suffering. And ministry is worth it. And so I I hope that this wisdom will apply itself to your situations as well, because you need to be sure. You need to have some wisdom. And I think the wisdom is applicable in all sorts of ways, but you're going to have to do some of the work yourself. I can't spoon feed all of it to you. So there are three tests, though, when you're trying to figure out if this is something worth pursuing. One, you need to have an inside witness of the Holy Spirit that this is where you need to be going. Preferably, you need to have some kind of supernatural experience of calling, especially if the question before you is ministry. But 
I don't expect that in every area of life. Now, the challenge here is that sometimes this inward confidence of the Holy Spirit can feel a whole lot like just feeling really sure, right? So sometimes we can trick ourselves into being convinced of things that aren't true, which is why we have more than one test, right? That's why we don't stop there. But I think it's really important that you need that. So the second test is that you need to be affirmed by the people who are closest to you, your family, your spouse, your close friends, they need to be able to see in you what you think you see in you. If they don't, maybe this isn't actually from God. Maybe it needs to cook a little bit longer. Maybe you just don't have that many people around you who are close to you and who listen to God. It could be, right? You'll have to navigate that. But the third question is you need to be affirmed by the people who are in authority over you. In my case, with ministry, this was people in spiritual authority. Pastors, elders, spiritual mentors. In your case, it might be different. But especially if it is something to do with church, then those are probably still the people that you should be looking to. But here's the really hard part. Sometimes you have the first two, and you don't have the last one. And sometimes the reason is because you're in the wrong place. Because let's be real, God has lots of churches. God has lots of leaders and organizations. And God has gifted them and called them towards the same goal, but has given them different paths and priorities for getting there. For example, Elam Chapel is not interested in starting a swimming pool ministry. It's just not something that we're looking to do at this time. If you've really got that on your heart, God bless you. But that's just not what we're doing here. But that doesn't mean that the calling on you is bad. And it doesn't mean that the calling on Elam Chapel, that's saying no to the thing that's on your heart, is bad either. Maybe you're just in the wrong place. Or maybe this isn't a real call. That's why we have all the tests. But looking to those in authority is an important part of determining whether the meaning and purpose is in this assignment. Now, we've covered a lot of ground today. So I want to finish by reading what, to me, might be the final word on suffering in the Bible. We've referenced several verses from this passage already today, but I want to read you the whole thing to close. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And this life is so hard. And Lord, it can be really hard for us to reconcile those two. Thank you that you walk with us, Lord. Thank you that you never leave us alone. Thank you for the promises of your word and the the pictures that it gives us Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. If the road to that involves some pain along the way, we'll take it. We want to be your people. We want to be yours. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to love the people around us. And we are willing to hurt for that. God, bring your triumph through our suffering. We lay it at your feet. We lay our hurts at your feet. We lay our joys at your feet, God. We lay the deep desires of our heart that burn within us. We lay them at your feet, God. We pray that you would change us and change this world through us, that we would be your hands and feet to a hurting world. In your name we pray. Amen.